Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. The year 2022 turned out to be a game changer for the digital asset market after the market of 2020 to 2021 experienced exponential growth. The year's peculiar events from the likes of Terra Luna collapse to FTX fallout has certainly brought some attention to the industry's flaws. In fact, over the past three years alone, we witnessed the crypto market cap going from all-time high of $3 trillion back in 2021 to a 2022 low of $727.58 billion. But despite a dramatic hit in overall confidence, it looks like Singaporeans aren't phased by it. In fact, based on a recent study by Independent Reserve, and that's Singapore's first regulated cryptocurrency exchange for all investors, Singaporeans are still actively investing in cryptocurrency. You know, this year's edition also examines the attitudes towards cryptocurrency across three new segments, and that's female investors, high-income earners, and young adults. So to walk us through some of the key highlights of the report and what emerging trends investors should be on the lookout for, we're pleased to invite on the show Lasanka Pereira, the Chief Executive Officer of Independent Reserve Singapore. Good morning, Lasanka. How are you doing today? Good morning, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm having a fantastic day. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Now, for a start, Lasanka, could you give us a brief overview of the 2023 IRCI results and perhaps walk us through some of the key highlights of the report? Yes, absolutely. Dan, what I will say is the, the index number is down from one year ago, and I think that was largely to do with some of the negative uh, headlines in crypto and more broadly, interest rates grinding dramatically higher. Yeah. But overall, I would say the optimism on the future of crypto is, is quite strong. Uh, there's increased ownership among Singaporeans with long-term investors uh, reaping rewards. And of course, uh, as you alluded to, high participation amongst uh, females and younger demographics. Right. And so the nation scored 55 on the IRCI this year, and that's the decline from last year's score of 61. Help us understand the numbers behind the drop in points from 61 to 55, and how significant is this compared to the rest of the region? I guess the confidence is the big one there. Um, yeah. As you mentioned, FTX or a couple of uh, other other businesses that, were, that went under during that time, and, and it's important to note that these were issues with bad actors rather than the whole crypto ecosystem. Um, right. I think the market's becoming comfortable with that. The regulation has got stronger. I think investors in the space have got a bit wiser, learnt a lot more lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's happened quite recently is that Bitcoin in particular, a few hundred million investors around the world realise that you know, Bitcoin's an important hedge against banking collapses and sovereign issues. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, like when we look at the collapse of Terra Luna and the FTX fallout, it's no surprise that it has definitely led to a loss in confidence and trust in the industry. But as you've mentioned, you know, with a growing interest in cryptocurrency, does this suggest anything about whether the crypto bubble has actually burst? Uh, no, on, on the contrary, Dan. We see younger investors, Gen Z, higher female participation, uh, we saw for the first year a lot more of the participants using, you know, portfolio allocation and portfolio diversification and uh, them stating that as the number one reason for their crypto investments. And we see cryptos clearly emerging as a, a credible, serious asset class. Right. 
Right. Okay. Now, for a while now, you know, crypto fiat being walled off from traditional finance, which led them to reevaluate their dependence on, you know, the traditional institutions. But looking at the latest banking turmoil, which saw the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse, that's the latest setback for crypto industry that saw much of its value wiped out during the collapse of, you know, the largest crypto exchanges, FTX. So, why not share with us how exposed the crypto industry is to the banking crisis and to what extent do you see this influencing price movements or confidence in the industry? I think the most important thing to note is that Bitcoin and other crypto assets will work using their own respective blockchains. Yeah. What the banking was important for is for capital to move across venues and jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I guess, uh, three banks being Silvergate Bank Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, they each held an important position in the settlement layer of Bitcoin. So capital moving across jurisdictions, these banks represented fast way of settling US dollars, essentially. And with this, the collapse of those banks, the key piece of that infrastructure disappeared. What's been happening over the last six weeks is that global participants in the crypto space have been re-engineering how crypto settlements happen. So new banks have emerged and strong banks like DBS and Standard Chartered in Asia. Other banks in Europe have emerged to take their position. So in the short term, volumes are a bit thinner, volatility will be a bit higher, but crypto will become stronger and the volumes will pick back up once uh, those settlement channels are re-established. Right. Certainly some good news here. And, you know, despite the overall decrease in short-term confidence, it's like what your report has mentioned, crypto awareness and ownership in Singapore remains strong. So before we get into some of the most popular cryptocurrencies among investors, can we just talk about how significant of a role that Singapore's regulations for cryptocurrencies play in fueling assurances among investors in the digital space? Absolutely. MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, they've established a very robust regulatory regime. They've issued a few licenses like to independent reserve, which assure, you know, these players operate to a very high level of governance and consumer protection and transparency. Yeah. So what Singaporean investors can look forward to is that if they're using a regulated entity, that they have the highest level of consumer protection. Right. I think Maz has done that very well. It's a leader globally. Um, and I think a number of other jurisdictions are taking leadership on how Maz has done it. So as an investor, you should be looking for regulated. This doesn't protect you against volatility, but you can you know, have a high level of confidence that you're dealing with a very sound player and a good actor. Right. Yes, certainly regulation does play a huge role in this. Now, let's just get into the juice of it all. What are some of the most popular cryptocurrencies among investors? Is Bitcoin still king? And why do you think if that's the case? Bitcoin is still the king. It's got the highest level of awareness and adoption. Mm. It has a 14-year track record of producing block after block. It is an asset that can't be inflated. It's on a ledger that can't be manipulated. And it's proven itself over and over again. And it, again, has once again come to the fore in in this banking crisis when, you know, for, for one of the few times, normally these banking crises have been generally in developing economies. But I think a whole lot more people have became aware that if they can't rely on their U.S. bank to have their capital available to them when they want it, then this is po- this could be possible anywhere. So in that situation, Bitcoin is an asset that's going to be available to them at any time that they could travel with, they can 
uh, custody themselves. Yes, and certainly some confidence in here because it also comes against the backdrop of Standard Chartered's notes, which said that apparently the crypto winter has melted away and Bitcoin is set to search to 100,000 by the end of next year. That represents about a 268% increase from current levels. So that's something that we will be watching out closely for. Let's just move on over to the next part of the interview. And we're just going to talk about the performance of female investors. And that's based on your report. You know, it examines the attitudes towards cryptocurrency across three new segments. Female investors included in one of them. And it found that 37% of females are invested in cryptocurrency up 7% since 2022. Conversely, 48% of males invested in cryptocurrency is down by 1%. So what are some key factors do you think that's driving female investors' interest in this space? I think females are a bit more consultative. Uh, They're a lot more open to sharing ideas and asking questions. Females, on average, I think this is in line with a number of other global studies that suggest Females are more risk-averse, they spend a longer time researching and they have a patient, you know, longer patience um, in a longer-term investment timeline. Yeah. So I think these are some of the key features that, that we came out. And of course, I think as generationally, females are taking more control when it comes to the family finances. Right, and yes, and this is also supported by a Wells Fargo study that covered during January 2016 to December 2022. It has shown evidence that women actually do better than men at investing. You know, we're just looking in the crypto space where it's been long regarded as a risky form of investment. 76% of females reported making money or breaking even compared to 72% of males. So what exactly are women doing right that men can't seem to get? I think as a man, I could, I could relate to this. I think um, <laughs> men, we tend to be, um, you know, I'll go back to the points I made earlier. Uh, females are taking longer time to learn and research on the investments um, and they're taking a longer term horizon with these investments. Right. And particularly with assets like Bitcoin, we've seen, um, you, know, you know, this has shown rewards uh, for those longer term holders. Right. Yeah, and patience. That's I think that's something that a lot of us can start to learn more about patience. Now, let's move on over to talk about uh, building trust in digital assets. You know, considering that price stability is a primary factor for Singaporeans to increase their trust in digital assets, what further actions can then be taken to build long-term trust and confidence in the crypto market? For one, I would say this is something for Maz, the regulator. I guess now that the regula- strong regulation framework has been established allowing regulated entities to promote themselves. I guess this is something that could happen that could give more confidence to users. Participation of major organizations like DBS and Standard Chartered in the crypto space, uh, the emergence of custody providers, um, and household names like Fidelity, you know, starting to offer this to their users. I think this is something that builds long-term confidence in the industry and the asset class. And I guess some of the participants some of our users, what they're demanding is more education. Um, right. And that's something you know, we've taken a particular view on that we're providing to the market in Singapore and also our home market in Australia. 
Yeah, certainly. Education is something that's very important. In fact, you know, I was talking to my friends about crypto investing. Most of them were just relating it a lot to bets, like gambling. So I think this is something that we have to look closely into as well. Now, why not just talk to us about the, you know, trends that you are seeing emerging in this crypto space as well, you know, because the IRCI report, I believe it explores the time crypto investors spend in the market. So what are some trends that you are seeing in this space? Some of the trends that we're seeing, I guess we're seeing, um, as, as I said, the younger generation, so 18 to 25s, we're seeing a lot more. I guess generationally, this is an asset class that's going to understand crypto better than older asset classes. So we're seeing younger generations there into kind of crypto gaming and NFTs. Yeah. I'll give you an example. My four-year-old daughter was telling me the other day that I should be using Paylar in the <laughs> food market. So, I mean, that, that just goes to tell you that the younger people will grow up in a more digital environment. They'll understand digital money like Bitcoin. They'll understand apps better than us older folks. Right. So I think, you know, younger people take a, a higher position in terms of much have, have much higher adoption and awareness of digital currencies. Right. I guess the family offices that we speak to, they are being quite active in terms of getting portfolio exposure assets like the top end assets like Bitcoin and ETH. Mm. There is growing use of digital assets in global remittance. Um, and I could tell you, you know, a lot of our customers are using um, assets like XRP and USDT and USDC very oh, wow. actively in their remittance businesses. Yes. And I think as, as time goes on, there'll be higher use of decentralized finance applications right. as an alternative to using banks and financial providers. Well, certainly very you know, exciting times ahead of us. Now, with Hong Kong actively courting Web3 companies and potentially competing with Singapore as Asia's crypto hub, how do you see these developments between the two jurisdictions influencing independent reserves, business plans or other companies' considerations? Absolutely. I, I can tell you, Dan, I was in Hong Kong a week or so ago. Yeah. Hong Kong is, is very different to Singapore. Of the clients we speak to, Singaporeans, particularly at the height, the institutional family office end of town, Singaporean family offices, if you brought, um, pardon the very broad generalizations here, Singapore is a, a place for asset protection. And then from my experience in Hong Kong, Hong Kong is dry, it's a financial hub and a lot of risk-taking behavior happening out of Hong Kong. So from a trading perspective, Hong Kong is far more active. Yeah. But I would say the regulators, so Singapore has established a very strong regulatory framework. Yeah. Hong Kong is trying to do the same, but I think they've gone at a much higher level, of much tougher level of regulation for operators. Right. So, and, and of course, it's got a, an overarching China risk. Yeah. So as a business like Independent Reserve, when we decide to go somewhere and look, look at commercial viability, the cost of running a business versus the, the revenue upside, Singapore is a great place to do business. Hong Kong might be a great place to do business, but it comes with different different risks. Yeah. I guess uh, look, we haven't made any decisions, but looking forward, I, 
I expect independent reserve to have operations in both jurisdictions. Nice. All right. Okay, yeah, and it's uh, definitely a stark contrast from what we're seeing in mainland China, you know. And in Hong Kong, a lot of people are now seeing it as a place where there's much more open jurisdiction for crypto trading as compared to Singapore. But in this case, you know, given Singapore's tight control over crypto as well, do you see Singapore losing out to Hong Kong in this uh, space of uh, attractiveness when it comes to cryptocurrency? I don't see that at all, Dan. Right. I think both a lot of businesses like ours will consider both jurisdictions they'll come with different rewards and risks. Right. So certainly we look at Hong Kong as an active active market. Right. Okay. Thank you for that. And thank you for that, Lasanka. And certainly very exciting times. Competition between Hong Kong and Singapore. Now, given the recent crackdown on multiple crypto companies in the US, what kind of impact do you foresee having on the global cryptocurrency market? I think the, in the short to medium term, given that the US has, a number of significant players, the impact will be negative, so volumes will be affected. Yep. The overall size of the market may shrink, but in the long term, crypto will continue to grow, although the US will most likely exclude itself. So some of the larger US players might be looking to relocate out of the US, establish, and this will benefit regions like Singapore and Asia, which will win out in the end. But overall, the future of crypto is strong and we're obviously very, very bullish. Wonderful. And before we let you go, are there any key trends that our listeners should be aware of? So one thing I will note, uh, Dan, is the Bitcoin halving uh, is one year away. So right now, every 10 minutes, there's 6.25 Bitcoin being released into the ecosystem. Uh, there's 90% of the big Bitcoins that will ever be mined have already been mined. Right. And in April 2024, the Bitcoin block reward will drop to 3.125%. So that's a 50% drop in newly mined Bitcoins. So we see the Bitcoin halving as a, a narrative that will come into the fore over the coming year. And if you look historically, yeah. leading up to the uh, Bitcoin halving is obviously price appreciation, mm-hmm. and in the in the last price last Bitcoin halving in 2020, we saw the Bitcoin price appreciate by about 700 percent following the halving. So, we see the Bitcoin halving as a big narrative coming up, but it's also, I guess, to be weighed up with higher interest rate with a higher interest rate environment. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that, Lasanka, and thank you for that in-depth breakdown of the report. Thank you for joining us this morning, Lasanka. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. We've been speaking to Lasanka Pereira, the Chief Executive Officer of Independent Reserve Singapore. Continue to keep it right here with us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.